I feel like we could be sitting on a powder keg right now. I'm just going to tell you, I don't have to preach all of this. When you feel the Holy Ghost move, let me give you an analogy. We always pray, Lord, well, let me just not say we. Let me talk about me because I was caught in this trap for a long time. I'd say, Lord, I want a move of God tonight. Oh, I'd be praying, God, I want a move of the Holy Ghost. And it's almost as if we expect some supernatural force to just come in here and shake us all around. My Bible tells me that ye are the temple of the Holy Ghost. And if this water was the Spirit of God and that container was a human body, I could beg it to move. I could plead and cry for that to move. But the only way that water is going to move is you got to move the container. My friend, if you want a move of God, let me tell you how to have a move of God. You move the container. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying a move of God starts with me. I can't wait on my neighbor. I can't wait on the preacher. I can't wait on the musicians. It's going to start with me. That being said, we're going to go to the book of Ezra chapter number 4. Because I believe the Lord has spoken to me this afternoon. It is going to relay some very timely things to this congregation. I'm thankful the Lord loves us enough to speak to us. Ezra chapter 4, beginning with verse number 1. Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the children of the captivity built the temple unto the Lord God of Israel, Then they came to Zerubbabel and to the chief of the fathers and said unto them, Let us build with you, for we seek your God as ye do. And we do sacrifice unto him since the days of Eshkardon, king of Asher, which brought us up hither. But Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the rest of the chief of the fathers of Israel said unto them, Ye have nothing to do with us to build an house unto our God. But we ourselves together will build unto the Lord God of Israel as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, hath commanded us. Then the people of the land weakened the hands of the people of Judah and troubled them in building and hired counselors against them. Watch this. To frustrate their purpose. All the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. And hired counselors against them. To frustrate their purpose. I want to preach for the next little while from this thought. Satan's plan for a revival church. Satan's plan 
for a revival church. If you're going to help me preach, would you lift your hands to heaven all across this building right now? I want you to ask the Lord to open your minds. Lord Jesus, I pray for every heart, every mind, every individual in this building. I believe the word of the Lord is going to speak plainly to some situations and to some circumstances. God, every person in this building, I don't want them to leave until they have been touched by the hand and the power of God. Do a work in this place. We thank you for it. And everybody claps their hands unto the Lord. Amen. Lord bless you. You may be seated tonight. Satan's plan for a revival church. The apostolic church at large has seen many adjustments in the last 50 to 75 years. As a whole, we have reached a point where we are forced to analyze ourselves in the mirror of God's holy word. Our eyes at times must shift backwards as we glean from the church of yesteryear. We have to look at the book of Acts, and we ask ourselves what made them so powerful. You see, this precious book provides us with a blueprint, a model, if you please, of what the apostolic church should be. And we have to ask ourselves at this point in time, how do we compare to the original church. Because you see, there is only one church. This is not a denominational thing. This is a God thing. He said, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. I'm not going to build an organization, although I'm thankful for it. But he said, I'm going to have one church. And if you're a part of the church, the gates of hell shall not prevail. Ask ourselves tonight, how do we compare to the original church? One writer put it like this. The New Testament church did not depend on a moral majority, but rather a holy minority. Church right now, he says, has more passion or more fashion than passion and more superficial than supernatural. Understand with me tonight that these people in this book were uh, not only a people of power, but they were a people of purpose. They broke the religious mold in that day. They shattered the preconceived notions of what living for God should be. They angered the religious hierarchy with their boldness because they were on a mission from God. And because all of this, hell fought them furiously. Could I put it like this? They were a revival church. And hell does not like a revival church. Understand with me that they did not flinch in the face of adversity, but they walked with confidence. Like a well-oiled machine, they knew their purpose. 
regardless of what their role was, their purpose remained intact. They wanted revival. They wanted to see souls saved. They wanted miracles, signs, and wonders. They had a purpose in an effort to appease the masses. Churches today are navigating an extremely different course. Addressing sin no longer appears in sermons. Prayer rooms no longer echo with the prayers of the saints. Eloquent words have replaced anointed preaching. Sincerity has been replaced by hypocrisy. And anointed singing has been replaced by theatrics. Can I tonight to tell you that Satan is not threatened by empty prayer rooms. He's not threatened by shallow sermons or hypocritical saints. He's not threatened by theatrics or complacency or average or mediocre. But you give me a revival church. Satan is threatened by powerful prayer rooms. Satan is scared of anointed preaching. Satan can't stand powerful worship. The power of God should be flowing in our churches just like it was in the book of Acts. What we felt tonight in our worship and in our surrender unto the Lord is normal for an apostolic church. Power should be there. Hell hates a revival church. People who know their purpose. Hell cannot stop a revival church. Hell cannot mess with your power. So he'll mess with your purpose. He can't, he can't take your power from you. He can't take that Holy Ghost from you. He does not have the ability to steal your power. And so since he can't stop a revival church, he'll try to slow a revival church. If he can't halt it, he'll hinder it. If the enemy can't prevent it, he'll try to postpone it. He'll do everything he can to stop what God desires to do. This was the case in the book of Ezra. Chapter number 1, you see Cyrus, the king of Persia, declaring his desire to build the Lord a house in Jerusalem. Fast forward to chapter 3 of the same book, and you see that the altar was built. The foundation was laid. Progress was being made. They were doing the work of the Lord. And they danced. And they worshiped. And they sang praise unto God for the progress they were making. And in Ezra chapter 4, the Bible says the enemy showed up and offered to help. You didn't know the enemy goes to church. Who, me? If the shoe fits. Verse 4. They weakened the hands of the people of Judah and troubled them in their building. He couldn't stop them. So he'll just try to slow what they were doing to get in the way, try to hinder them. And then in verse 5 it said they hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose. He did not target their ability 
He did not target their power. He targeted their purpose. Because if I can get them frustrated, if I can get them disillusioned, if I can get, if I can plant a seed in the soil of their spirit, they'll do the rest. If I can plant a seed of discouragement, if I can plant a seed of indecisiveness, if I can plant a seed in their spirit, then they, they'll do the rest. You see, there are people in churches all over this world whose power is not compromised, but their purpose is. And they're frustrated. Because when God is the center of your life and church is a focal point of your family, like many of us in this room, you'll understand me when I tell you this. When you're frustrated at church, you're frustrated everywhere. It affects your family. It affects your job. It affects your relationships. It affects every area. If church isn't a big deal, then who cares? It's not going to affect you. But when it is a big deal and it is a part of your life, it bleeds over into so many different areas. And they were frustrated. Hear me tonight. It's not uncommon to get frustrated by people who you thought was on your side. They showed up. We want to help. We're on your side. We want to help you build. But their motives were not pure. I'll just preach a little while. Their motives were tarnished. You see, all we see is on the outside. We see the actions. And, and oh, I want to do good here. I want to do good here. But God looks at the motives. God sees why you want to do this and why you don't want this one doing this and why this over here. I've been way more frustrated with church people than worldly people. I've gone to church and I thought to myself, if they come up, I will punch them straight in the face. I'm taking the veil off right now. I'm being honest. I will love you at a distance. Some of you laughing. You know I'm reading your mail right now. Frustrated. Ticked off. Can I just use a, just a, a common term? Mad. Frustrated. What you're not understanding is you're mad at the wrong thing. You're mad at the wrong person. There's a spirit trying to work and trying to cause division into what God is wanting to do. You need to understand my purpose is being frustrated. I had this one person one time on this particular occasion. And, and, and that person, I would, they, I would literally get sick to my stomach. I'd get so mad. And I knew, I knew what I felt in my spirit, that they were doing wrong. I knew they were being wrong. And I, I may have shared this with you before, but if it was, it was several years ago, so to act like it's new. So I began to pray. And I said, Lord, how can I discern? A wolf in sheep's clothing. 
outside, they look like a sheep. They can, they can lay up in a carcass of an old dead sheep and, and they can make sounds and, and they can attract other people. And I said, God, how are you? And the Lord just kind of nudged me and said, look at their feet. Because a lamb will leave a very delicate impression wherever they go. But a wolf leaves carnage. Maybe that's why they call it a track record. I could tell a lot about a person by looking at the people they've left in their wake. I can tell a lot about your motives and about your spirit by looking at the damage you have left behind. The disillusionment that you have left in people's spirits as to how could these people be living for God when they're doing all of this. Can I just walk in the Holy Ghost for a little bit? Because there's people in this building that you haven't had a breakthrough in a long time because your purpose has been frustrated. You've lost your passion. You've lost your joy. You've lost your reason for doing this in the first place. Because people have gotten in your way and have crossed your path and they have frustrated your purpose. You've come to church ticked off and you've left church ticked off. You've tried to worship. You've tried to lift your hands, but you never could break through because somebody on the other side of the church has gotten so far under your skin that you cannot, honey, hear me. Don't be mad at them. This is a spiritual thing, and the enemy is trying to rob you of your breakthrough and trying to rob you of your joy. I'm not going to let the devil hinder revival. I'm not going to let the devil steal my joy. You don't hear anything else I say. Remember this. If he can't mess with your power, he'll mess with your purpose. There's people not living for God today because their purpose was frustrated. There's people who had a call of God on their life that are not fulfilling that call because their purpose was frustrated. wants to keep you frustrated. Hell has been hindered more progress, not by sickness, not by physical attacks, but by frustrating people's purpose. Your purpose is paramount because what good is power if you have no purpose? What good is being full of the Holy Ghost? If you don't have a purpose or a goal or a defining thing in your life, churches are full of victims of a frustrated purpose. Hear me tonight. The first thing that I have to bring before you is this. Don't mistake or confuse action and accomplishment. There is a difference in action and accomplishing. You can be busy without being beneficial. You can give the illusion that you're doing something without really doing anything at all. 
to help the overall good of the body of Christ. You know, they have a term for people who are busy without being beneficial. They call them busy bodies. I, I, I'll never forget, I was, in, I was in Walmart not too long ago. And I saw four people standing just kind of still like this. And I said, I told my wife, I said, somebody didn't teach them what to do. And she said, what do you mean? I said, oh, you working at Walmart. If I was working at Walmart, I'd have two items, one in each hand. Even if I was standing there and my manager came by, immediately I'd say, oh, I'm going to put this up right now. And give the illusion that you're doing something good. One guy told me, he said, son, if you go work at the plants, you got to always, you got to do two things. He said, walk fast and look serious and they'll never ask you anything. There's people in church that do the same thing. They do a whole lot of this, but they're not accomplishing nothing. They've got their hands over here. They've got their hands over here. They're doing this. They've got a lot of action. But they're not accomplishing anything for the good of the body of Christ. Don't you think for a moment that action alone is beneficial? Hear me. You look in Genesis chapter 11. I can, I can differentiate the two. After the flood, there was the group of people that said, we are going to build a city, and we're going to build a tower. They all had one language, one mind, and one purpose. And when they were on the same page, they were accomplishing something for it together. They were unified. They were making progress. They had the same purpose. Insomuch that the Lord came down and said, behold, the people is one. And they have it all, they have all one language. And this they begin to do. And watch this. Now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. That's the power of unity. When you're unified, you accomplish something. When you're divided, it's a whole lot of action. Because the Lord said, I'm going to confound their language. You see, their motives were not pure. God confounded their language or a spirit of disunity could, could, came upon them. And they all were walking around, but nobody could understand what the other person was trying to say. But in churches like that, nobody could understand what the other person was trying to do. Trying to say they were on different pages. They were on different wavelengths. There's a difference in action and accomplish. That's why the Bible says, write a vision. And make it plain that he may run that readeth it. There's something to be said for everybody having the same goal, the same purpose, the same vision. This is my church. This is what we are going to do. We're going to reach the lost. We're going to have revival. We're going to have a breakthrough. We're going to see miracle signs and wonders. I'll never forget, I heard, I heard a sermon by Sister Nona Freeman. And she told the story of when she was at a particular church. And, and, and she was next door in the little cottage where the, the, the pastor lived. And they were having a meeting to get ready before church. And when she walked out, she heard the singing. And they were walking to the little stadium or, or the, the, the building. 
and the worship was boisterous. And she said, as I kept walking, she said, it felt like I started stepping into water. And the water started rising. And pretty soon the water was over me. And she said, I felt like I was weightless. She said, I felt like I was just floating. And I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, what am I feeling? And she said, the Lord told her, you're feeling perfect unity. Because when you're unified, it doesn't matter what song they sing. It doesn't matter who brings the word. It doesn't matter what happens around you. When we're all on the same page, we get lost in this thing. We just get lost in the spirit of God. We've all got the same purpose. We've all got the same agenda. Second thing I want you to realize is your witness carries great weight. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, But ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Hear me, the responsibility of the redeemed is this. Show him to them. You bowl it all down. What you do speaks louder than what you say. We have a responsibility. We are to be witnesses. This is not a country club. This is not us four and no more. When we walk out of those doors, when they look at me, they must see him. Regardless of what you think, people are watching. And when you got a frustrated purpose, you got a frustrated witness. And there are some people whose only opinion of God is formed by you. Because they don't read their Bible. They don't go to a church. They don't pray. They don't even have a relationship with God. So you paint the picture of God on the canvas of their mind by who you are outside all you do is grumble and complain and get ticked off and mad about this and mad about that. Let me show you painting a very poor picture of who God really is in that person's life. I have seen people, brand new people, come into church and I almost wish they didn't come because of who brought them. Because I knew that they got an earful on the way to church. And they got an earful on the way home from church. And they were poisoned by somebody who was frustrated. And they painted a sour picture of what church is and who God is and who the pastor is. It's one that disagreement is not seen. And every husband and wife said, Hallelujah. Discord is. We can disagree all day long and not sin. But when I let my frustrations come out of my mouth, when I let what I'm upset at spill over, and I'm contaminating the body of Christ, 
I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I, I may have been right in principle, but now I'm wrong in application. You may be right. Let me tell you. You know why there's only one of these? Because there's one leader. There's just one. There's just one. And, 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 and we're not naive. He's not naive. You're never going to reach a point where everybody agrees. If I had a restaurant, I'd name it. I don't care. Because every time I, I ask my wife where you want to go, she said, I don't care. Disagreement's not wrong. I make a lot of money, too. You're not always going to agree. I'm not going to agree with Brother Hughes all the time, or Brother Landon, or Brother Bob, or Brother Who. Or I'm not going to agree. That's fine. We don't have to agree on everything. But you know what I do? I suck it up and say, that's the vision. It's made plain. We're going to walk this way. I may not agree with it. That's fine. I don't have to agree with it. But as for me and my house, I'm not going to let the enemy come and frustrate my purpose. I'm not going to let the enemy come in here and mess with my mind. We've got a goal. We've got a vision. This is the way we're going. You have a responsibility to make sure that your witness, who you are, pure it's not tainted by your negative thoughts it's not tainted by your frustrations you have to keep the purpose one guy said keep the main thing the main thing i agree with that we have to make sure our witness you know what regardless of what i think regardless of how i agree or disagree god's still worthy god's still on the throne it doesn't make him no difference he's still the final thing you got to understand is that personal renewal is paramount in the life of a believer. Hey, friend, this ain't once saved, always saved. There, there are people, and I applaud, I applaud every usher, every hostess, every singer, every musician. Brother Sound Man, I applaud you. I applaud every single person, every Sunday school teacher, and then every saint for being in the house of the Lord. I applaud you. Now, here's what I need to relay. We cannot get so busy doing for him that we lose sight of him. We need, we need people to make the church go. We need people to fill positions. I'm thankful for that. But, honey, when it all boils down to it, it's about serving the Lord. It's about having a relationship with God. And I've seen people that needed to be yanked off a platform, yanked out of a Sunday school building, yanked, just yanked. They just need to be drug all over the altar. Because they were so position-oriented. This is my territory. Don't cross it. This is my spot. Bless God, I've been here 73 and a half years. I've been doing this. This is my job. 
lost the purpose of why they're even doing it to begin with. We need people. You know what you need? You need an old-fashioned, tongue-talking, mess your hair up, throw them bobby pins, take your tie off, roll on the floor. You need to get this thing all over again. You need to get the why put back in your life. Why do I do what I do? Get the why back. I was in church last week on a Sunday morning, and, 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 and there was a guy over here on the right, and, and I was working the altars, and, and I didn't—I never seen this guy. I've been to that church before, never seen him, and and I began to pray with him, and he wasn't wasn't opening his mouth much, wasn't saying much. So I really didn't know the story behind the guy. So I just put my hand on his shoulder, just begin to pray, and big old tears start coming down his face, and I turned to the guy. There was nobody nobody around me was praying with him. So I was like, man, I need something. Somebody come over here and act like you love the guy, and. I turned around to a, to a guy over here, and I said, does he have the Holy Ghost? He said, no. And I turned back and looked at him. That guy just speaking in tongues. Big old tears. And I said, well, he does now. And this guy just, at first it was like this, you know, just kind of like some of us, the Pentecostal Kumbaya. Just kind of and, and before long, this guy just started rocking. Boy, his hands. And it was coming on him so strong, he didn't know what to do with it. And his whole body started shaking. And that pastor looked at me and said, well, Rick got the Holy Ghost. I said, looks like it to me he's got the Holy Ghost more than some of these other people up in here. I didn't say that. I thought that. I used a little wisdom. He said, let me tell you a story, old Rick. He said, 11 years ago, Rick lost his wife to cancer. He said the medical bills were astronomical. And he wanted to pay all of his debts, so he made himself homeless. He sold his home, his vehicle, sold all of his possessions that he had to pay off the bills. And he made himself homeless. And for the past 11 years, he was just thumbing it and walking all over the country. He said he came in here six weeks ago on a Sunday night. Nobody invited him. He just was walking through town, and he came in on Sunday night. He said he was there the next night. He came up to him. He said, Brother so-and-so, I just want you to know the only reason I'm here is because I feel something I've never felt before. Six weeks later, God filled him with the Holy Ghost. He got baptized. He said, I w-. they didn't have church that night. He said, I, I wish y'all would have church tonight. I would love to be here. I looked at that pastor. I said, well, there's something new for you. Somebody wanting more church instead of less church. That's what we need. We need old-fashioned, apostolic, praying through to get this thing new again in your life. Get your purpose back. Get your passion back. Whose spirit is just laying dormant. Lost their passion. Lost their joy. Feel like they're making no progress because the enemy has come in and frustrated you. You take a glass of tea, unsweet, and you pour a bunch of sugar in it, and you leave it and come back an hour or two later. You take a drink of that tea, you're not going to tell that there's anything in it. 
because everything that was put in it had settled to the bottom and it was laid dormant. The secret is in the stirring. When you put that tea, that, that, that spoon, and you start stirring that sugar in that tea, it changes the overall climate of the contents. That's why Paul said, stir up the gift which is in you. Some of you tonight need a renewing of the Holy Ghost. Come on, stand to your feet all over this building right now. I would to God that you would lift your hands all over this building. God, bring our purpose back. God, bring our passion back. God, pour it on each and every one of them. Pour it on each and every one of them. Pour it on each and every one of them. Come on, I want you to reach out to heaven right now. There's going to be a stirring happening in this place. There's going to be a stirring in the Holy Ghost. Some of you are going to leave with a renewed passion. You're going to leave with a renewed purpose. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Come on, reach out with me right now. Reach out with me right now. Come on, we're in no hurry tonight. We're in no hurry. God is wanting to renew some things in your spirit. God is wanting to renew your passion and renew your purpose. This is going to be a revival church. This is going to be a church of purpose and a church of passion.